So we are uh, looking at Revelation 16 this morning, and uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, one of the authors I had uh, listened to, he, he kind of w- was thinking about the issues in Revelation 16, and he asked the question, why do the unrighteous succeed and prosper? And sometimes if you're honest, when you look at the world or you're looking at things going on around you and you think, why is that? Why does God allow people to prosper when they seem to be they're rebels against him? Why would he continue uh, to allow them to move forward? And especially in light of like the promises that we have as his people, like why the delay? I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but you've thought like, do I really have to live here like uh, 70, 80, 90 years? I mean, why, why is there a delay? What are we waiting on? What's taking place? Uh, certainly, sometimes uh, the Lord, uh, I mean, some of the things that the Scripture reveals to us is that the Lord uh, uh, waits and gives time for repentance, for people to come to faith, and that we get to participate in that. Uh, there's other aspects of it, though, and I think that's more focused on what we're dealing with here it's one of those ideas, and you see this in Genesis, where um, God says to, to Abraham that, you're, that my people that, that have been given this land, your descendants, they will spend 400 years in Egypt, uh, and, and they're going to be there for that time until the iniquity of the Amorite is complete. And what they're saying there, and I think it's very important, or what God's saying there is that these people are storing up wrath for themselves. And when they have, uh, it's met its full, then I will pour out uh, on them my wrath and they will be punished for their wickedness. And so he did that with Israel. And I think we see that even now where we are. There's kind of this this struggle going on. And sometimes we do kind of say, Lord, how long do we wait? And really what you see is even in chapter six, the saints that are in heaven before his throne, they're saying, Lord, how long until you make these things right? And he tells them to wait a little longer. One author said it this way. God will fill the believer's cup of blessing to overflowing only when the wicked have filled their cup of judgment to overflowing. I'll say that one more time. God will fill the believer's cup of blessing to overflowing only when the wicked have filled their cup of judgment to overflowing. So I think that's an important thing for us to see and understand and grasp. Now, one other thing just to say, though, is that and and you see this. I mean, when we're thinking about this text, and it's kind of interesting that we're here this morning in this place where we're outside, we're seeing the creation, we're we're really thankful for all that God's given. And, you, you know, in God's grace, like he has provided, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, he has provided you with like the sun and the air to breathe. And you, you get to experience all the blessings of living in this world. And that is a wonderful thing. And that is something that should cause us to say, look at this beautiful creation, then, then kind of reflect on that and say, let's praise the creator. And the reality is, though, we see all around us that people, instead of praising the creator for all that he's given us, they begin to worship their creation. They worship themselves. They do not give thanks to God. And ultimately, 
they will be judged um, for this. Now, as we're looking at this text and thinking about this this morning, you remember a couple of weeks ago we were in Revelation 15. And Revelation 15 kind of picks up the idea of the Exodus and it picks up a lot of themes there. And we're going to see those again this morning. We see that the, the deliverance that God is bringing about for his people comes through the judgment of those who have rebelled against him and who've really attacked his people. And so we're going to see that kind of on display. And we ultimately say that deliverance that we saw with the children of Israel way back in Exodus, there's this greater deliverance that you and I are experiencing in the present that we know that we're awaiting the final form of that where we we have been rescued from our sins, but we will ultimately experience all the benefits of that in the future. And so there's really this idea of deliverance that comes through judgment. And that's what we're looking at today. Now, if you're kind of new to the study of Revelation, you know, uh, for some of you, this would just be a helpful thing for you. There are three uh, series of seven judgments that come. And this is that third series. This is the bold judgments. We've already seen the seals and then the trumpets and now the bowls. Now, this morning, we're going to kind of see that fleshed out and we'll look at the first five bowls and we'll see how God is really, I think, in this time between the first and second coming that you're seeing the judgment of God fall on humanity. And maybe you could say at the end of that time, in a much greater way, we'll see that. And then we're going to look at the sixth uh, judgment and the seventh judgment. And as you see those, I think you see the whole evil world system collapsing and it's on display very clearly. So let's start in Revelation 16, 1, looking at the first five bowls. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. This is a command. He is commanding them to go out. This is something that God is commissioning these people to do. There are these angels to do. We saw them in chapter 15. We saw them. The temple opened up. We see them coming out. And now he is sending them with a loud voice, commanding them to go and execute his judgment. And we see that on display very clearly. One of the things that we see is God is angry with sin and rightfully so. And therefore, he is executing his judgment upon rebellious humanity. Sometimes when you um, if you ever been like this, where you you really uh, you're not that angry about sin until it affects you, you know, it's like it's all cool, like and good until it starts coming like somehow you get in the mix And then when you're attacked, you're like, where's justice? You're crying out for it. And the reality is, is that you see the saints crying out for judgment. We don't really always maybe say we may not always think about I want justice. Like I said, until we face something and then we say, where is the justice? And and we see God is bringing it. There is no question that he will bring it. To pass Now, uh, verse 2 says, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and a harmful and painful source came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. This kind of reminds you of the sixth plague in Egypt. It was a, a plague of, of literal sores in Egypt. That was a, a really, if you go back, you say this was a historical thing where God is bringing about these plagues. And really, when you get in the revelation, he's pointing you back to that historical event. And you're saying, oh, we've seen this before. But here, I think 
that we see this. It needs to be seen as a metaphor. It's a sign. It's a picture of what is taking place. Um, what about these people here? They've received the mark of the beast. Now, I, I, I personally don't think that's a mark that you could walk up and say, oh, I see the mark. I think it's more of they have aligned themselves with uh, this idolatry. They're worshiping this age. They're treasuring the kings of this world. They're trusting in this thing. And so they have aligned themselves with the world system opposed to God. And now they are experiencing judgment from God. So I don't really know what all this is, but the anguish that is tied up in these sores would be unbelievably difficult and painful. And it it seems to sweep across the whole earth of all those who are in rebellion against God. Now, another thing I think is just important to say, and that you could just have this in your mind, is the seven trumpets and the seven bowls are very closely tied together. It seems like we're repeating the same thing with a little bit different emphasis, certainly here with an emphasis on humanity facing the judgment of God, all without exception. If you go back and think about the trumpets, it was you're looking at almost like a third of the earth going through this kind of trouble. Now we're seeing it, it is sweeping across the whole of the earth. Verse 3, Then the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Uh, th- this is like, I don't know, you know, when it, when it speaks like this, you're saying like there, there's kind of this stench-filled blood. It's coagulated. It's, it's, it's kind of like, it's a heavy kind of thing where it's, it's, not, it's not something like what you see where someone is like living, but it's something that kind of portrays death here. Um, what you kind of are reminded of, maybe if you've been studying with us, is that trumpet judgment. And in it, it was a third of the, the earth and a third of the sea. Uh, in a third of the fish. But here it seems like total destruction is on display in this picture of what is going on. It's really kind of one of those things. And just kind of, again, because I think that we're dealing with symbolic language. One of the things that would stand out to me about this is that it, the, the Roman world in uh, the Roman Empire was greatly dependent upon the Mediterranean Sea. And you're going to see in the next chapter that we're going to look at that what was taking place is really this idea of a total destruction of that world. Like the whole economic system would be collapsing here. Uh, It's like a severe suffering where everything crashes. And I don't know, it's interesting, even in America, there were a few years ago when we were looking at things and I remember they said, like, if this crashes, then the whole system's going to fall. And it's kind of like that, like when it's built upon that system was built upon these merchants moving and passing through the sea. And now the sea is destroyed. uh, The livelihood of all those people uh, under destruction. And so this is all coming, crashing down again. You'll see that in chapter 18 where the merchants are standing back and the ships, shipmasters are standing away and they're weeping over what is taking place all around them it's a great collapse i think it's pointing to that verse four the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters and they became blood again not a third but that all the rivers all this fresh water is destroyed it it's not just bitter as we've seen before but it's filled with blood it's pointing you to this time period where we even think about egypt and what went on with them and so there's nothing that is pure there before them to for even like for just the sustaining of life 
in this age. Verse five. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was for you brought these judgments. Notice what he's saying. He's reflecting. This angel is reflecting upon the character of God. If you remember when the saints were crying out, God, deliver us. How long are we going to face this? They reflected upon the fact that God is just and that God is holy and that he he, he must do something about what is going on on the earth. God must punish sin. He must deal with sin. If he does not, then he is rejecting who he is. It's in, his very nature is one who is just and true and holy and pure. And he must deal with sin. Verse 6. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And so they are saying this, this angel is saying this, and then it's followed by likely even the saints that, that we saw in chapter six before the throne crying out. And they're saying this is what they deserve. They have killed and destroyed the church. And God, now you must punish them for what they've done. They deserve it and they are getting what they deserve. Some people might say, well, I don't know about this and I, this doesn't sound like the God that I think about or the God that I worship. And I would say to you, the God that you worship, if it is the God of the Bible, this is him. And if you have a wrong view of him and you're uncomfortable with a God who is just and holy, you are uncomfortable with the God of Scripture. He must punish sin. He will punish sin and he is acting out of his character. And we're saying he must deal with it. And he does. I think it's just important to stop for a moment and say, if you are a Christian today, you still you're holding to the fact that God is just and he must punish sin and he punished his son instead of you. So that if you're here today and saying, I'm trusting in Christ, you're saying the just God of the universe punished sin for me. He punished his son. His son endured uh, 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 the father's wrath and the father poured out his wrath upon him so that I could be in good standing. Christians are not people that say that God is not just. We say he is just. He's perfectly just. And the cross says that. He must deal with sin and he dealt with my sin there. But those who reject him, they will experience his wrath in its fullness. You keep moving here. Verse seven, and I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord, God almighty, true and just are your judgments. He, 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 they're, they're saying he, he is you are right in what you're doing. And there's something of this. That it, and you just got to think about this. It's like what, what some people call a decreation. He is undoing what he had done. He created this beautiful world and, and all that is within it. And now in punishing the wicked, he is going to he's he's doing away with the old and he's going to set up the new. And that's what we'll see at the end of the revelation. Now, verse eight, nine, the fourth angel poured out a bowl in the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent or give him glory. You hear that? You heard somebody say, 
well, what about those people that really wanted to know the Lord and they really want to be in relationship with him? And, and for some reason they didn't. And what about them? And what about this? And what about that? What you're seeing here is that when they're under. So here's the deal. Their whole life, they've experienced the blessing of living in this world. Their whole life, they breathe this air. Their whole life, they've had this clean water. Their whole life, they've been able to eat from the sea and the fish and all these. They've had all this stuff. They've been able to take care of their families their whole life. And with all that mercy being given to them, and they've not worshipped God. Now, they're experiencing His judgment. And you might say, this might be the time that they would repent, that they would turn because they're seeing that God will punish wickedness. And even when they're facing that, they're not responding in repentance. They're not turning to Him. They do not repent or give Him glory. Even in, 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 in his good things that he gives them and the judgment that they receive, neither one of them lead them to repentance. They are not broken over their sins. These people are experiencing this scorching with fire. Now, here's the beautiful thing. In Revelation 7, when it speaks of the church, it says that they shall hunger no more nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to the springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In the revelation, the saints of God are the ones in the present experiencing trouble for their stand for him. But they will not always experience trouble. The unrighteous seem to be experiencing blessing in the present at some level. And yet they're awaiting this kind of future. And so I think you're seeing this swap that's taking place. They who have lived for this age, treasured this age, trusting in this age, all these things, worshiping this age. Now they are facing the wrath of God. They deserve it and they will not repent. Verse 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. I mean, this is shocking. They, they keep experiencing this judgment and instead of repenting, it's almost like they have it's almost like there's these signs that are coming at them that God must judge their sins. They already know that. Everyone knows that. We know we live in a world when there's great offense to humanity. We say those people need to experience punishment. All of us agree with that. If somebody takes from your bank account, we would say, you would say, hey, what are you going to do? And we would say that person needs to be punished because they'll continue down the road if not. And so what takes place here? What, what, what's going on here? We see them come under the judgment of God. Now, this idea of darkness here, I think it's more than just the lights being turned off. Uh, I, I think there, there's something and there's certainly in Israel, uh, I mean, in Egypt, when all that was going on, the lights went out. But there's something terrifying about that. When I was a kid, um, I uh, went like I, I, sometimes we would go to these caverns 
And uh, I remember a few times, and one time, I don't remember who I was with, maybe with a school or something, I don't know. But one time I went to some, and, and, and we're sitting, and we go way down, like several stories down into the earth, and they turn the lights out completely after we're down there, just for a minute. And there's something terrifying about it. There, there, there's this idea even here, I think, that as we're, we're kind of looking at this, is that <clears throat> this bowl you see on the throne of the beast, is, it's poured out on the throne of the beast. There may be something of this that, again, is conceptual, or it's helping you see that, that where, where the, the, the system of governance is being stripped away. There, there's something about it where darkness has come over the land where there's no ability to to now like navigate through it and all hope is lost. It's a terrifying condition that these people find themselves in. You know what the new Jerusalem is? It's the exact opposite. There is no more darkness. It says that the, the, the Bible actually speaks of the new Jerusalem where uh, it needs no light, the glory of God is its light, and the Lamb is there. It, it's like this beautiful picture, the opposite. And so we see these powers kind of being overturned here, and, and everyone is set in such a horrendous condition. Now, uh, one author again speaks of this, and he says, that when you summarize these judgments, these judgments are an expression of the will of God. God is doing it. God is bringing this about. God is the one who is bringing these judgments uh, to, to fruition here. He is just and He is judging sin. Another thing is that these show us is that they come from His character. Because He is just, He must bring judgment. And the third thing that we see here is people are experiencing these troubles because of their continued sinfulness. They are facing these judgments because they continue in their sin. They're blaspheming God. They're rejecting God. They are not repenting. And they are getting what they deserve. It's such a shocking thing. And I listened to Arda Zerdi this week. He was talking about hearing this testimony of a guy who was on a plane and he survived. But the plane began to go down. And he thought in that moment, he said, all my life I thought if the plane was, if, if I was in a plane and it would begin to plummet, even people that did not believe in God would begin to repent. And he said, as the plane went down, they began to curse God. They were not repenting. They, continue, they had been preparing themselves for that moment their whole lives. They had been cursing him throughout their whole life. And now as the as the the ship's going down, or you could say the plane is plummeting to the ground, they are still cursing God. What a shocking thing. You see that in the revelation where there are people in hell gnashing their teeth at God. They are not longing to be with him. They just hate him even more. What a shocking place to be. Now let's look at the sixth bowl here. In the sixth bowl, it's almost as if God is setting up a great battle. It, you know, when you study about wars or in World War II, there was always this talk. I don't know if y'all have ever kind of listened to them talk about, the, you know, people talk about it, but they would send stuff through the radio waves to try to confuse the enemy, you know? 
to go to the wrong place or to say we're going here or there. And there was all this stuff and they're always trying to figure out what to do. And we see here God is setting things up so that all the nations who are raging against him will be um, together. Verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river of Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Uh, this is just kind of something that like in that time period in the Roman Empire, uh, that the, the Euphrates River, that was the boundary. That was the boundary for uh, uh, the really uh, for the whole empire. And so uh, right beyond that boundary, there were very powerful like people there. And so that's kind of in the minds of the people. They would understand that they would probably uh, grasp that and get that in their minds. It was also in it, for a Christian. They might even understand that it was kind of it was the border for the promised land. And you see that you can see that in Genesis 15. Um, right beyond that border was the city of Babylon. Uh, and, and, and you, you kind of could, could kind of think about that. And also the city of Nineveh kind of right beyond that. And so really, if you knew your Bible and you knew what was going on in the time period you're living in, everybody knew that things from the east sometimes came. And when they came, trouble came with them. It was a way of kind of presenting that and getting that in their minds so that they're thinking about really what is taking place. Now, these armies, the idea here is that you might say, no, God would keep the river really high so they could never come in. But the picture here is that he dries that river up so that they can walk in and they think this is easy. We're taking out God. We're going to take out his people. We got this. This is no problem at all. The river that always kept us from like coming in is now gone. And so God draws these together, all the nations of the earth, they're the kings of the east, and it says really the kings of the world later, but they come together to war against God and his people. And he sets them up in that way so that they are kind of there together, ready to invade. Verse 13 and 14, it's not just this river is dry, but also, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Do you see that? Mouth, 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 right? And we've seen this throughout where Satan is the great deceiver. And so God is using the great, this great deception to draw these people together. These three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for uh, battle on the great day of God Almighty. So it's like this picture here where God has said, like, not only do we see all of these troubles coming on humanity, now we see the nations raging together. God opens up this place where they can travel through, and then he sends out these demonic influences to go out and speak among the kings and say, Come and y'all come gather together. We are really going to strike him down forever. And God uses this great deception so that he can gather these people together and crush once and for all rebellion. I think that's what you're seeing in a very clear way. Verse 16, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. 
Now, again, I think when we're looking at all these things, sometimes people want to get their maps out and they say, oh, this is going to happen here and this is going to happen here and this is going to happen here. Not quite sure. I think what we've seen throughout the scripture is when when God gives us these places, a lot of times they're conceptual so that you can think about what's taking place. It's actually one of the difficulties with Armageddon is is that really a lot of people say the best way to translate that is the mountain of Megiddo. And the problem is, is nobody really knows where that is. There is a valley that you can go to and actually have been there where you can see and you think, Here's this great valley, but it's not a mountain. And so there's some confusion here. I'm not sure the most important thing is to say, oh, it's this place as much as it is to see him gathering together these people and he's gathering them together uh, in order to bring about this great deliverance through judging the wicked. And uh, there may even be a reference here, just so if you want to think about it, you can go back and look at it to a time period in the judges when uh, this this army of Sisera was over. Uh, turned and they were from there there was something of this picture of Megiddo that that was a part of that and so you can go back and look at all that but I think it's important just to notice notice that and to see what is taking place now in case and I just want you to write this down in case you are maybe wanting to know what happens in this battle I may not ever come back to church here I don't know just tell me what's going to happen well Revelation seventeen fourteen says they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings and those with him are called chosen and faithful. Revelation nineteen fifteen says from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tre- he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the almighty Revelation twenty nine. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. So God gives this great uh, delusion and they're, they're blinded in, the, in their desire to like overcome God's people. And they, he calls them in a way all together. And then he destroys the enemies of God's people forever. And that is what you see going on here. So what does that do for the church? It tells the church, don't, especially in this first century and even in our time, do not trust in this world system. It will not hold you. It will not keep you. It will not preserve you. You don't want to to, to say, that's my savior. Do not align yourself with this present evil age. It will be destroyed. Now, the seventh bowl. Uh, one one last thing just to kind of think about when we get here is I've met with a lot of Christian uh, and really Christian men that will, you know, the, at different times that have talked to me and they'll say something like, we have got to do something. We've got to do something about what is going on around us. And, and, and it's almost like we need to come to, and maybe it's something going on in another part of the world or maybe even something that the other Christians in other parts of the world are facing. And, and they kind of feel this sense of like the best thing that we could do was would be like train with a special ops group. And as Christians go in and like straighten all these things out, like go to war and fight against these evil people who are seeking to, to crush uh, the people of God in this present age. Now, I'm not saying that I don't ever feel that. But here's the wonderful thing that God says. In Romans, he tells us, leave room for the wrath of God. 
And in Revelation, I think that same thing is here. It's saying God is going to deal with this. And if you think and sometimes I've even in my own life thought, Lord, when, when are you going to address this person or that person for what they have done? The reality is God will deal with it. And if you think that you can outdo God, you are crazy. You, you leave room for his wrath. I promise you it will be. He will justly punish in a way that you could never, ever imagine. And, and, and that's what we see here, where we can trust that God will not allow his people to forever be persecuted or beaten down. He will address them. Verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Kind of the picture here, it's going into the air. And sometimes I don't know if you've ever been uh, around where people are talking about different diseases and how they travel through the air. But it's kind of that picture where it's it's traveling through the air, the atmosphere. We've seen the you know, the, the sea and we've seen parts of the land and we've seen this and that. But now it even comes uh, and it gives us this image of the air, the air which people breathe. Everything now is being taken out. It, he is saying it is done. The idea here is that he has completely accomplished. It is finished. He has accomplished what he has set out to do. Your mind probably, when you hear it is finished, if you've read your Bible much, you think of Jesus saying, it is finished. I have accomplished what I set out to do. And really what we see in that, where we're saying like, We know at the cross, Jesus defeated all of our enemies, that it proves that he will judge them. He is he is the supreme ruler of the universe. And he also he rescued his people. Both of those are taking place. And so when we're looking at this, we're seeing the finality of judgment and we're seeing it being accomplished here clearly. Now, Revelation 21 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Uh, He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and end to To the thirsty, I will give from him the spring of water uh, of life without payment. And so we see here that he is in this picture in Revelation here. It's almost like it's uh, the judgment has come. The old has passed away. It has been taken away and the new has been ushered in. It's a beautiful picture of what he has done. Verse 18. And there were flashes of lightning and rumblings, uh, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since uh, uh, um, since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. It's this kind of picture you're seeing each time at the end of these series of judgments, you'll see lightning and thunder and an earthquake. And it, it's kind of that in peals of thunder. And it's kind of showing us this is the final judgment and it's done. It's over with. God has brought about what he promised that he would do. He's going out with the old. And there's in with the new. 
And you can conclude this here. And I think it's very helpful to see this in verses 19 through 21. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her uh, drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they and they cursed God for the plague of hell because the plague was so severe. You see here Babylon again brought up. The world system that's been in rebellion against God is now being crushed forever. There is no repentance here. They are not responding in repentance for God. God is bringing about this great destruction upon all of the wicked. And he is destroying Babylon. That has been this picture of rebellion throughout the, the Bible. And he is bringing about his judgment. Now, I, for you this morning... You're looking at all this. It's the last time that we're looking at a series of judgments. And what do we see? What we see is when the judgment falls, these people continue to rebel against God. I would say to you this morning, if you are here and you have lived your life for yourself, you have sought to like build your life upon this present age, you're treasuring it, you love it, you're living for it, I would say you'd better repent. Turn to the Lord while there is still time. He will bring about His judgment. And those who continue in their way and they continue to live as if God does not exist and they continue to run away from Him and they continue to curse God and they continue to walk in their own way, they will be judged one day. But for the people of God, this judgment will set the stage for eternal glory, eternal blessing, eternal wonder with our God. And so I think for us today, if you're looking at this, you see that there, our hope is built upon the fact that God will punish wickedness and he'll set up his eternal kingdom and we should praise him for it forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for showing that to us. We thank you that you have allowed us to live and to know you and to grow in our relationship with you. I ask that if there are those here today who are lost, who are without Christ, who are living in rebellion against Him, I pray that they would repent, believe the gospel, and experience salvation. For there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. In Christ's name, Amen.